0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Good morning, Bethlehem. If you'll turn with me to John chapter 4, today's sermon text is found in verses 7 to 26. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, this morning we begin a five-week series on the vision of our church, and particularly on the strategy by which we aim to accomplish our mission. So those are... Important words. Um, what's our mission? Rod Takata just prayed it. If you forget it, it's hanging on the wall. Um, I trust you all know what it is. As a church, as Bethlehem Baptist Church, our mission is to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. And and my hope is that after the next five weeks, that mission statement would become more clear to you and more meaningful to you and your heart would resound with a yes to that mission statement and, and you would come to understand more of the, the biblical groundings and the, and the summary that that is toward biblical Christianity and, and you would find that a succinct sentence by which to live for and in which to die. That's our mission statement. Spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. Now, every mission statement has to be asked the question, how? How do we do that? People have asked, what are you calling us to do? Well, as your elders, here's our answer. Our strategy By the grace of God, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who gladly glorify God together in five lifelong priorities. Here are the five worship, belong, grow, serve, and go. The five priorities that we're calling you to do to worship, to belong, to grow, to serve, and to go and these next five weeks, my job is to unpack each of those words in the pulpit. And let me say a little bit more before we get to the first one, worship. We believe all five of those priorities ought to be present in the life of every believer, every disciple. In fact, we see that those five words can help us in our obedience to Christ, in our uh, Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded. So, for instance, it may be that you've been a Christian for a while and you've never prioritized worship personally, Bible reading. Well, our effort in those five is to put that before you and call you forward in devoting yourself to worship personally and corporately. And it might be that you default to serving one another in the church and you give little thought to the going, reaching, spreading call upon a church like ours, upon our lives, that we see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And these five would call you forward to say, yeah, I'm glad I'm serving, but Lord, how do I grow in the go?" So that's how we think of them. We, we think of them as providing a a helpful description of what it means to, to be and act and live as a mature disciple of Jesus being conformed to the image of Christ. And, uh, and all that is, is the how of our mission. We, we're making disciples of Jesus who joyfully live for the glory of God. In, with five priorities. To worship, to belong, to grow, to serve, and to go. So this morning, I want to read to you the description of the first one. I think it'll be on the screen. Worship. Since God, by His grace, has given us new life to see His glory and know Him through faith in Christ, let us devote ourselves joyfully, to joyfully worship him in all of life, individually and corporately. I'll read it again. Since God, by his grace, has given us new life to see his glory and know him through faith in Christ, let us devote ourselves to joyfully worship him in all of life, individually and corporately. I mean, this, is, this is the true north of the five. This is, without this one, there are, there are no others. This is where it all begins. It all begins with God and his grace to us in the gospel, giving us new life to believe in Jesus and worship God the Father now and forever. Let me pray. Father in heaven, now help us as we, as we press into this. I pray that, through this series, you would be strengthening our church toward active engagement in this mission as we prioritize worship and belonging and growing and serving and going. You made us for your glory. You have redeemed us from our sins that we would be to the praise of your glorious grace. And so now, I pray that you help us as we think together about worship. Make it real in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, the teaching in John 5, or excuse me, John 4, is one of the most important passages in the whole Bible about worship. So let's climb into it now. Jesus is traveling from the region of Judea in the south of Israel to the north, to Galilee. And he has to pass through Samaria. It's like if you're in Missouri and you're coming to Minnesota, you have to go through Iowa. So the easiest way to go is that way. So it makes sense geographically. But I also think he must go through Samaria because he has a sovereign appointment with this woman of Samaria. And that she's a Samaritan, you know, ethnically, a, a group that's ethnically and racially and religiously despised by Jews only serves to underscore the point that God has a plan to seek worshipers from all peoples, even Samaritans. So traveling on foot in the heat of the noonday, Jesus, the text says, was wearied from his journey. And so he sat down at Jacob's well. It's called Jacob's well because it's a well that was on land that belonged to the patriarch Jacob. And interestingly enough, I found out that this well that has this water coming up that Jesus is going to use as a metaphor for the ever-ending, ever-flowing grace of God, the presence of God that bubbles up to give life forever. <laughs> this, this little well on planet Earth in Israel right now was bubbling up water in Jacob's time and bubbling up water in Jesus' time and continues to bubble up water today. <laughs> Isn't it something? So three parts of this conversation: a conversation about water, a conversation about adultery, and a conversation about worship. And really, when you look at the whole thing, it's all about worship. Here's the conversation about water. As the woman approached the well, Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink." And she replies, "How is it that you, a Jew? Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. And Jesus replies If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Just stop right there. She doesn't know these two things. She doesn't know the gift of God or who is speaking to her. The gift of God is the, the spiritual life-giving gift of the Holy Spirit. That'll become clear. Uh, it's, it's clear in John seven thirty-eight. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has, have said, streams of living water will flow from within. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So she doesn't understand the gift. If you knew the gift, the gift is the Holy Spirit of God to come within and bubble up life within you. She doesn't know that. And the second thing she doesn't know is that it's the Son of God that's speaking to her. Before this account is over, Jesus will have revealed himself to her as, a, as more than a prophet, as the Messiah, the Christ. Messiah at the end of verse 26 and as the Savior of the world in, uh, in verse uh, 42. So perplexed now, the woman says, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Jesus doesn't pick up on that now, but she answers it (laughs) by verse 26. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. Yes, greater than Jacob. Jesus answers her, but where does he get this water? He answers Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's better than physical life. And the woman replied, still thinking Jesus is talking about H2O, Sir, give me this water so that I will not have to be thirsty and come here to draw water again. Now, to me, she embodies the sin of us all. She's focused on obtaining what she thinks will satisfy her physical needs, her desires, her wants, and she thinks that that's merely plain water. When God the Holy Spirit is offered to her, she's saying, okay, how are you going to get that water out of that well? She doesn't understand. This is the, this is the the picture of, you know, what do you want? Do you want a cup of water from Jesus or do you want living water? Hey, give me a cup, would you? This is the sin of us all. This is what it means to fall short of the glory of God. This is what Jeremiah means in Jeremiah two thirteen. I said Jeremiah means this is God speaking in Jeremiah two thirteen. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug out cisterns, their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So God made us to worship him. To receive the living water of himself. And we go after ordinary water. We go after things. We go after this, the cisterns idea. We go after broken pots that can't hold water. And we try to drink out of them. And there's nothing in there that satisfies. I mean, all the things that we pursue as ultimate over God. Idols. Broken cisterns unable to satisfy well Jesus offers us springs of never ending living water from the Holy Spirit of God himself to live within us (sighs) from here the conversation shifts to adultery. You might think, well, that's odd. But I don't think it's odd. Let me explain. Jesus asks her now a personal question about her life. And he's going to put his finger on her sins, like her worst sins, her ugliest sins. He wants her to know that he knows her he knows her and her sins, and he's coming after her. He sought her out. And as painful as it is, the path to receiving the forgiveness of God involves our seeing ourselves, our sins, as God sees them. As Jesus sees them so Jesus says to her go call your husband and come here she says I have no husband Jesus says yeah that's right you've had five and the man that you're living with is not your husband at all and she says that's right I perceive that you're a prophet. So I think he's putting his finger on her broken cisterns, how she has sought life apart from God. And the conversation now pivots again, and I think it's connected to worship. You know, in verse 20, when she brings up the question of worship, I mean, one way, I, actually, I used to read it this way. I think she's trying to get, get away from Jesus. Cause just, let's not talk about a, adultery anymore. Let's talk about some controversial question. You know, like, who's going to win the next election? Yeah, you know, like, well, how about this fight that, that Jews and Samaritans have been on? How about we talk about that? But I tell you, this, this landed on me This week. Is she doing this because of the guilt of her sins? I mean, is she doing this because Jesus just put his finger on her sins and she knows enough about religion and Judaism to know, I gotta go seek atonement? Where should I go? Jerusalem? Mount Gerizim? Maybe that's what she meant. The text doesn't say why she shifted to worship, but that seems very plausible to me. What feeds that hunch of mine is it's not lost on me that when the people of Israel forsook God in the Old Testament, God called that he likened that to adultery over and over again. It's talked that way in, in Judges, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Adultery. When God's people commit idolatry, God calls it adultery. You've pursued a relationship, an intimate relationship, a dependency, a love on someone other than me. God says in Jeremiah thirty-one, or excuse me, God Jeremiah three-one. God says to unbelieving Israel, "You have played the harlot with many lovers." He's talking about religious worship. So this this woman's quest for satisfaction from one man after another, after another, and after another that turns up empty without satisfying water seems to be a vivid depiction of a people searching for satisfaction and meaning everywhere but God himself. And apart from God, she will not find what she's looking for or what she needs. So I don't think it's a dodge that she brings up worship. I think she's feeling the press of her guilt and her sin, and she wants to talk about worship. So she asks about the proper place of worship. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So her big thing is where. Tell me where. Tell me where. I'm thinking, tell me where and I'll do it. Tell me where. And Jesus says, that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. Jesus says the real question is who and how. This is why this is such a great text for us on worship. Verse 23. He says to her, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So there's His answer. It's not where, it's this. First of all, it's who. Who? The Father. That's the who of worship. The Father, God the Father, God the Father, who sent his Son into the world to seek and to save sinners by giving his life as a payment for sins, that we might be brought to God and born to new life by the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit, and thereby have the right to become children of God. And do you feel the connection now? It's children of God who worship the Father in spirit and in truth. If you're not a child of God, you can't worship the Father. If you're worshiping somebody else, some other Creation of God, other than God, the Father, who sent His Son to enable your worship through the Spirit. You're not worshiping truly. I had a conversation with a friend a while back who who said to me, he, he said this sentence, which he said, "I've studied all the religions of the world and they're all the same." <laughs> what is that? <laughs> like, Really? You know, maybe he's just trying to silence me. Uh, Maybe he's trying to justify his unbelief. I mean, any serious study of the religions of the world will not convince you that they are all the same. They're all different. And Jesus here says there's one way to worship God. And in this one way that Jesus describes all the other ways are idolatrous I even met a Baptist pastor in the city who said well all, all these religions they lead to God you know the, the Jews and the Muslims this is a Baptist pastor that's a lie Je- Je- Jesus is, is here to say that's not true it's idolatry. That's false worship. So it's not where you worship, it's who. True worship is about the worship of the Father. Secondly, how. True worship is about worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. You see it there. It's mentioned twice. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is seeking such to worship Him, for God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? The first question pops in your mind is spirit. So is that the Holy Spirit, or is that our spirit? And I want to say, yes, that is the the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's all over this passage. The Holy Spirit of God coming into us, in us, indwelling us with the presence of God. The Holy Spirit in us, enabling us to worship in our spirits. God. (laughs) So it's yes, yes. Our spirit indwelt by God's spirit, that's the kind of worshiper that that God is seeking. And this is what it means that, that, that by faith in Christ, we are born again. We have new life in Christ. We are born of God, that the spirit of God has come into us, enabling spiritual life so that we can worship God with his spirit within us through our spirits that bubbles up into authentic worship. The opposite of spirit worship, worshiping in spirit would be what what Jesus accuses the Pharisees of. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, he's quoting. Isaiah 29. So, the lips might move. We might stand up, sit down, shake hands. We might bow our heads. We might participate in the Lord's Supper and sing. But Jesus says, If the heart is far from me, if this is not worship, by my spirit, in your spirit, bubbling up into true worship, it's vain. It's empty. Worship in spirit's never boring or dead, but it conspires from the truth into emotions and thoughts and re- responses to God of love and joy and hope. It enables our love for God and our adoration of Him as we see the truth of who He is in His mercy and might and power and sovereignty and His grace. The Spirit enables us to continue to trust God and His promises as as we look to Him. The Spirit enables us to hold fast to God and His word. Spirit enables us to delight in and be satisfied in God Himself and all that He promises to be for us in Christ Jesus. Spirit. What matters is that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. In truth. Imagine I wrote a love letter for my wife that went something like this. Dear Kathy, thank you for our seven years of marriage. You're a gifted painter. You're skilled in the martial arts and you're always the life of the party, telling jokes and making everyone feel at ease. and You, you care for stray cats and their rescue is admirable. And, and you share a love for football and golf and all sports with a passion that we share together. <laughs> what would be wrong with that? It's Praise. It's false. (laughs) Nice words. Looks good. Not true. We've been married 42 years, not seven. She's not a painter, but a gifted writer and gardener. She's not the life of the party, but an awesome close friend and wife. And mother and listener and counselor. She doesn't love stray cats. I'm the one that brought the stray cat in the house. about this big. I'll tell you about it sometime. And she doesn't like watching sports, unless maybe it's baseball. And for sure she loves watching it if her kids or grandkids are playing. Not any old Vikings game. Such is the emptiness of false worship. Worship without truth is idolatry, it's, it's made up. It's a fiction. That's why we need the Bible and the Word to align our heads with the truth of who God is so that we, our, our spirits would respond to the truth of who God is in worship and it would be real. I mean, I felt through the years, one of the things Bethlehem has so helped me with is to experience that link. Truth about God coming in, enabled by the Spirit to see God as beautiful and lovely and praiseworthy and, and worthy of my hope and trust and joy. and Worship in spirit and in truth. So let me, let me pull this together and then make four applications for us. God the Father is seeking true worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Geographic location doesn't matter anymore. It can and does happen everywhere. What matters is that it takes place in Jesus. Remember elsewhere, Jesus says, referring to the temple in Jerusalem. I mean, the, the Pharisees think he's talking about the temple in Jerusalem that took, what, 60 years to build, 45 years to build. Jesus says, destroy this temple, and I will restore it. I'll rebuild it in three days. What's he talking about? Himself. What matters is that true worship takes place in Jesus. Jesus. And so you know, where do I go for worship, Jerusalem or, or Mecca or, or Mount Gerizim? or where should I go? We go to Jesus to worship. Because He's the way to the Father, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. We go to Him because He is the truth, and in His face we see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In seeing him, we see the Father and are unable to worship. We go to him because he gives us living water, the promised Holy Spirit to live within us. We receive him because to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And it's the children of God who worship God the Father. And that's true worship. We go to him because in him we experience the reality of God the Father through the Spirit as the fountain of life, the fountain of living water satisfying our deepest longings. All five of the discipleship priorities hang on this one. This is the true north. I like it on the little circle. that The image of the cross is in the middle and at the top is worship. This is the true north. We're calling you to this priority of worship. Without worship of the Father through Jesus by the Spirit there's no discipleship at all. So applications. I've got four. Actually one is for you if you are not a disciple. If you've not come to Jesus if you've not received him by faith and Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to worship God the Father. I mean, I hope the application is clear. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus to worship. Ask him. Ask him for living water. Ask him for the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. If you knew, if you knew, if you knew who I was and what I have, you'd ask for it. If you don't know Jesus yet, ask him. He's come to seek and to save. God is searching the world. He's seeking all over the world. Worshippers like this woman at the well and like like the Pharisee in the previous chapter, Nicodemus, and people like you and me. Go to Jesus. Ask him. Grant that he would give you the Holy Spirit that you might believe in him and be saved and become a worshiper. That's application number one. Application number two. Now to you who have come to Jesus and you, you're part of this church, you worship God the Father through the Son in the spirit. Three very practical Applications and, and I, I have, I'm just going to touch on these three, for, three applications for you as believers. Uh, number one, devote your life to the glory of God. And it might go without saying, but it shouldn't go without saying. We used to have a saying around here uh, God does not like to be assumed. Devote your life to the glory of God. It's overarching, it's comprehensive, it's holistic. Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Give yourself to that. Whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then Colossians 3:17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that's that's number one. Devote your life to the glory of God. So ask me, Kenny, what are you asking us to do at this church? Devote your life to the glory of God. After you've come to Jesus and believed and become a worshiper, devote your life to the glory of God. Number two, devote yourself to personal worship in word and prayer. Make it a priority to spend time worshiping God over his word and in prayer. Personally, in your home, with your family, You must read your Bible for yourself. You cannot be totally dependent on preachers and teachers and podcasters and bloggers and even friends and loved ones. You must read the Bible yourself. God will meet you in his word. And you think about it. No people in all human history have had so many copies of the Bible at our fingertips. At any given time, you know. Like, I got two right here, right here. Probably one under here. Two under here. (laughs) And yet, you know, in these surveys of biblical literacy among evangelicals, it's getting lower and lower and lower. We're getting more and more malnourished, anemic. Anemic in our grasp and understanding and belief in the truths of the Bible. This ought not be. People have died to get this Bible into other people's hands. This is our life. I love some of the verses. Receive the word implanted, for by it you will grow up. Devote yourself to personal worship in prayer and over the word. I have more to say. Oh, I I do want to say this. You know, just, I got a bunch of practical counsel here. But let me say this. I urge you to have a plan for reading your Bible. I mean, I feel like this is, this was put to me when I first became a Christian, and I'm so glad it was. But I want to say it again, because life ebbs and flows. and Have a plan for reading your Bible. And I would recommend a whole Bible plan. I use the McChain. Uh, Robert Marie McChain plan, which has you reading in four different parts of the Bible at the same time because I'm, I'm a wimp and I would run out of gas in, in some parts of the Old Testament. So I, I like reading in four places at a time and working my way through. And, and I feel like this is practical for me to add. You know, and if I miss a day, sometimes I go back and read, sometimes I just keep moving. I don't get hung up on my failure. I just keep moving. I'm going to keep moving in the plan. Get a plan. I'm, I went on the websites, uh, Crossway, where the ESV is published, and the Gospel Coalition, and both had the plan that I'm on, but I mean, Crossway had 52 different Bible reading plans. Some of them were little, like seven-day ones. That's not what I'm talking about, but it could be helpful for a season. Devote yourself to reading the Bible regularly through. Whether you do it in a year or two years, it's not my point. Do it regularly. Feed. It's food. It's bread. It's sustenance. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ. And it will feed your perseverance and growth in grace to the day you die. Fourth, or excuse me, uh, third application for believers. Devote yourself to corporate worship. You know, as important as personal worship is, it's also essential that you devote yourself to worshiping with a body of believers in a local church. God made us this way, the early churches this way. They, they met every day in the temple. <laughs> How do they do that? Um, and I'm sure you know, especially after the COVID 19 experience, that there is a unique grace that we have, that we share when we gather together in one place for corporate worship that cannot be replicated by online church. We know that. I mean, so if you're online right now, and, and you don't have to be, I'm urging you to come. <laughs> you're missing out, not only on pastries, <laughs> but on singing together and in encouraging one another and knowing one another and being a people united in Christ, in the worship of Christ together. Hebrews 10, 24 Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day dawning. You know, having said that, if you can't make it to worship, I'm so glad that we have the live stream coming to you. I mean, I know there are situations. I'm so glad so if you can join us. And, and, and to you, same same deal. You know, just make it a priority to devote yourself to corporate worship with the body of believers. Um, worship with your kids. Worship husband and wife. Worship together with us. God has made worship this way. And we will worship in community in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Well, let me close. Next week, the priority we'll be talking about is to belong. Since God has chosen us and united us by faith into one body in Christ, let us devote ourselves to one another in covenant community. Father in heaven, thanks for your word. We exist to spread a passion for your supremacy in all things, for the joy of all peoples, and clearly we cannot spread a passion if we don't have one. So we ask, enliven our hearts, Grant us to be true worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth, day after day, week after week, in private in in corporate uh, gatherings, and in all of our life, grant that we would live with a passion for your glory as we would worship you and delight in you and rest in you and trust in you and rely on you every single day of our lives so Be glorified in our lives, individually, and in our families. And we ask you to be glorified in this church as we band together in the mission to which you have called us. I pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples.